Welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. This is episode 25, the quarter century that you talked about last time. It feels like a milestone. Pretty exciting. And uh, for the quarter century, we're going to be talking about the ninth century. How's that? Mm, Nice. That was good. That's my pivot. Um, So today we are going to be reviewing uh, the second game in the West Kingdom trilogy. And that's going to be paladins of the west kingdom um really designed, excited for this one obviously i know by shem phillips and sg mcdonald the dynamic duo behind this whole trilogy of games um artwork by the miko as always mm-hmm. and published by garfield games as i said so if you've listened to our previous episodes starting with the very first episode where we discussed our top tens you will know that we are big fans of this publisher, this designing duo, and of this whole like medieval series of games. Um, we started off early. I think our very first review we ever did was Wayfarers of the South Tigris, yeah. which is the newest release. And we have since done Raiders of the North Sea and Architects of the West Kingdom, which was the first in this West Kingdom trilogy. So we are following up with Paladins, and eventually we will get to the third game in the series, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. And that's going to lead us up nicely into this fall's release of the new game, Scholars of the South Tigris. So we're kind of doing a west kingdom sandwich where the bread is the first two south (laughs) tigris games and we also put a little bit of north sea seasoning yeah in there as well yeah a little bit of sea salt sprinkled on there um some fish yeah (laughs) sardines yeah i've also got to give give credit to uh garfield games and the and shem phillips and company because uh if it weren't for them I would not know how to say the word Viscount. Mm, that's where you and I differ because I took medieval European history in college. Nicely done. <laughs> um, speaking of medieval European history. So there's a reason other than release order that this is the middle game in the West Kingdom trilogy. Mm, so tell. what they did with these games is... um. There's a bit of a narrative arc going on. Um, So in Architects of the West Kingdom, we are basically building the West Kingdom, the Frankish Kingdom. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we're helping the king as architects design all the buildings and wonders and the cathedral and all that great stuff. Paladins is basically taking place um, at the height of the kingdom's power. So... We've built the city, and now the time has come to defend it against outside invasion. And that's going to fit into when we talk about the rules and the outsiders in this game. You will notice, if you pay attention, that the characters who are in the outsider deck are characters from the other trilogies. Mm -hmm. So there are Vikings from the North Sea, there are Saracens from the South, and there are Byzantines from the East. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, none of the East trilogy games have been named or designed yet, but those characters will feature in the future. And the Vikings are familiar to people who played raiders, shipwrights, and or explorers of the North Sea. 
And the South characters are familiar to people who have played Wayfarers and have looked at the upcoming design for Scholars of the South Tigris. It's pretty so, remarkable how yeah. far in advance they they gamed this out in terms of the visuals. Pretty impressive. Yes. So, I mean, they, they came up with it and they committed to it. There's no going back now. Yeah. Um, so basically in this game, that's your job. We are hiring paladins who, for those who don't know, are basically knights glorified knights to yeah, for, kind of for those lead who us. did not play age of empires too correct to basically lead us in our efforts to defend the kingdom against these outside invaders and that defending is going to look like um recruiting paladins um building fortifications in the form of a big wall um you know praying to to god to protect us from the evils of the outside world, invading Christendom, and just like developing our um, workshops and other like defensive buildings. So that's what this game is. And basically we are just competing to see who can build the best fortifications against the outsiders um, before time runs out. Yeah. Or in in the parlance of all the, IR and political science people in DC building up the resilience of the kingdom. There you go. <laughs> um, so how about you translate that into gameplay? What does that look like in reality when you're playing this game? Yeah, sounds good. So Ed kind of gave us a rundown of the theme already. I, I, want to get into scoring a little bit, but I think it's going to make the most sense to talk through a turn and then kind of go from there. And so, yeah, I would agree with that. Basically the way this game works is it's played over seven rounds and it's well, it has elements of worker placement in it, although that's a question I want to come back to because I think it's an open question how much of a worker placement game this is, but we'll get back to that. Uh, For now, suffice to say that in each of these seven rounds, you start off by giving yourself some objectives each round. And so there are little cards on the near the top of the board, some of them have a red seal, some of them have a green seal. Uh, the the red king's s- orders. Yes, exactly. The king's orders cards, and these are basically just telling you which objectives you need to complete. You'll have three objectives for the game that are each worth a certain number of victory points, and um, these are just basically bonus completion. Uh, objectives that you're trying to achieve by the end of the game. I do want to say these ones are fairly important, both because they're a fair number of points in their own right, but also because in the event of a tie on score, the tiebreaker is who scores more points on these. Um, Then the green seal ones are additional action spaces where you can place workers uh, beyond your like player board at the uh, start of the game. So you'll gradually have some more spaces that you can play with. Um, And then what you're 
doing each round is you are deciding on the six workers that you're going to have for that round. Like many of the Garfield games, the workers in Paladins are color-coded with different colors representing different worker functions. Um, but it's a little bit more elaborate in this one than other games like Raiders. So instead of just having three colors, it's a little bit more like like Expeditions, where I believe there's five different colors. Is that right? Five or six? Blue, red, yellow, green, purple. Five. Five. Yeah. Um. Well, and then did you say white in there? Oh, I, I was talking about Expeditions. This also has white. Yeah. This This one has black, white... Black and um, white, red and green. Blue, purple. Yeah, red blue, and green. So this purple. one has six. Yeah. Yeah. And so the way this works is you're, you've got a deck of cards that are your paladin cards, and you're going to be selecting a card to play for each round. And these paladin cards are going to give you a few different things. They're going to determine two of the color workers that you're given at the start of the round. They're also going to give you a strength and a faith bonus, a strength, a faith, or an influence bonus. These are the three main traits that you have going for you in a single round. Then they also are going to give you a special ability of sorts. And so when you're choosing, you are drawing three of these cards from the top of your deck. You're choosing one of them to play this round. One of them is placed on top of your deck, so it's one of your options for the next round. And the other one, you're kind of relegating to the bottom of your pile. And so Mm -hmm. your first big decision every round is which Paladin card you want to play. And there's a good bit of strategy in this in the sense that the different colored workers are more geared towards certain spots on your board that we'll get into in a moment. And they also increase the efficiency or the potency of certain moves that you do. And so you kind of want those things to be working in tandem. Um, And we'll get into some more specifics in a moment. Um, But then your second, you're then choosing a little card that will tell you the colors of your other workers. And this is just set up. So once you've got your six workers for the round, you're going to go back and forth and you're going to take an action or pass. And basically taking an action is to place a certain number of workers on the board in order to take an action. And there are a wide variety of actions you can take. One of the things that's kind of unique about this game is that unlike... I think pretty much all of the other Garfield games I've played, you don't have just one space, one worker, one action. So like in Raiders, you have different colored workers that are like restricted to certain spots on the board that they can go, but it's always you're sending one worker to one colored place in order to get some benefit or activate some action. Whereas in this game, you could be using anywhere from one to three 
workers on a given turn uh, to activate an action. And not only that, but you are not activating them on a shared map tableau with the other players. Everyone has their own individual player mat that they're placing their workers on. Yes, which that's a big departure. Um, yes. For people who are more familiar with architects and raiders, and it will right. resemble more closely um, what the setup looks like for Wayfarers, for those who've played that game. I know that probably not as many people have played that game yet because it is a newer release, yeah. but this is closer to that in that like there is a shared middle board um and then like you have your individual player board and i think even more than wayfarers the action is going on on your individual board and the middle the middle in this one honestly is like it's almost cosmetic yeah um yeah like it's, it isn't it's really more just for organ it's more for just organizing cards around so you know where everything goes to yes a, and a for giving extent. you information like it's where you put the king's yes. orders yes. yeah um and do you want me to i can give you a little two minute break and just very quickly go through the locations you can visit on your player board um sure if you want to go into the spe specifics that would be great i was just going to say broadly that you've got some spots that are allowing you to gather resources and some that are, yeah, basically allowing you to um, upgrade locations or like complete little mini missions in order to like gain cards. But yeah. 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 Or if like you to get more into... points. Exactly. Basically the, like what I really wanted to win and kind of share was the way I was thinking of it. Um, is, yes. And it pretty much like it very neatly goes into where the board falls down the middle where the uh -huh. left side is very much kind of the equivalent of the Viking village in Raiders mm -hmm. or the spots in the city in Architects, where, as yeah. you said, like they're very focused on resource gathering. So it's a lot of like you put workers to get provisions or coins or to get a better worker or to pick up your workers from somewhere else or to draw cards, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then the or, right side or of the to, board... Or to like increase your efficiency kind of scythe style by like yes with the develop yeah. action yeah with the develop um, action. and then the right side of the board is more like the actions that you will actually be developing so you want to like because these actions the commission fortify garrison absolve attack and convert these are not resource gathering actions. These are more the Correct. resource spending actions where you're yes. going to turn the resources into points yes. or further engine building. Yes. And so you're basically like taking actions on the left side of the board and from the cards that you have and the upgrades you already have in order to be able to take actions on the right side of the board. And so right. much like Scythe, as you mentioned, which is not a Garfield game, um, Mm -hmm. You want to like maximize your turns so that you can do more of those right side payoff actions as you go mm -hmm. on. So you spend less time on the left side in the resource gathering. Yeah, that's that's basically like the way that I um, kind of break it down in my mind. No, I think that's a great way to break it, break it down. Um, and so we mentioned earlier that you have these king's orders at the top of the board that are just 
missions that you're trying to complete before the end of the game. And so these are connected to the six actions on the right side of the board that are geared towards earning points towards like to go towards the end game. So um, basically you're going to have half of them that are earning bonus points every game because you've got six different ones that you can go for and three of them are going to be on in those King's order spots and in given games. So like one of them is building fortifications, building walls. These are basically giving you um, a one-time upgrade to your strength. And then also like benefits of resources of some kind that are kind of luck of the draw based on which cards you draw. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, while we're, while we, you know, keep, um, referencing games that we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the best analogy that I can think of for the King's orders and game scoring cards are the animal cards in earth where they're uh-huh. in that, like on that like middle board and they're just there for reference for people. And it just tells you like what the scoring conditions are to get the end game scoring in that game. Right. Yeah. Or right. honestly, even, even kind of like the animal cards also in Cascadia. Of all things, yeah. Well, yeah. well, and and worth saying too that these are this is not Everdell style like first past the post. Like anyone who completes them gets the bonus points for these Correct. missions. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, I think that gives a pretty good overview. Like you, you're you're doing those where you're collecting cards for the wall. You've got another two, the commission and garrison, where you are placing either clergy or outposts on the upper board in select spots. And this to me felt a little bit like scythe where you're, you know, uncovering spots on your board, moving your cubes, getting like, like tracker upgrades as you do so, but at increasingly high costs. Yes. Yeah, and, that that yeah. that's very fair. And and like, I mean, this is going to be jumping ahead a little bit, but we have already also played um Viscounts. Yes. And from my rec- it has been a while and we will definitely play it again before we review that properly, but there is um something similar in that game as well where you are moving buildings around to right. unveil new spots to that work as upgrades. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. I guess that's something that um was very successful, I guess, in this game and that they enjoyed from a designer perspective. And maybe a lot of people enjoyed um, on the playing end and thought it was worth carrying it over. Right. And and yeah. then, the, the, then the other thing that I think is worth highlighting here is you've got these outsider cards that are, you know, related to the theme of like the, the folks that you are preparing defenses against. And so, as Ed mentioned in the thematic, introduction um you have these attack and convert actions that are basically two options for how you're interacting with these outsider cards you can either uh quote quote unquote attack them and defeat them in which case you get a one-time bonus uh in terms of resources and maybe a tracker upgrade or two Mm -hmm. um and then 
they move over to your side pile and are mostly done for the rest of the game. They're in a um, mass grave yeah, <laughs> until you count up the bodies at the end. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, or you can take the opportunity to convert them to your cause in which case it's a little bit like age of empires you're converting them but you're not converting them to like fight on your side it's not quite analogous to the jarls in raiders where they are now cards that you're able to fight with instead they are almost like the 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 sky cards in wayfarers where they provide different ways of scoring bonus points at the end of the game based on like your entire tableau. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it really is kind of like, you know, someone took the Jarls and the star cards, the space cards from wayfarers and put them in a blender. And that's what these are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and there is sometimes some interactiveness between those. So for instance, like maybe you convert someone and it says at the bottom, oh, if you get one extra victory point for every, like every Saracen with this symbol on them, Saracen outsider with this symbol on them that you attack and defeat. So yes. there sometimes is some interactivity between those two and it, does behoove you to pay attention to that when you're deciding whether to attack or convert someone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that gives a pretty good rundown of like the universe of options in terms of playing. And that kind of leads neatly into scoring. I can give a quick overview on scoring if you like, before we get. Yeah, I think I was, I was going to ask you to do that because I think it'd be nice to just tie all the pieces into a nice little bow. Yeah. And I think that, I think that definitely, definitely does that. So here's how it works. You've got your, you get your bonus points for which of those King's order cards you complete by the end of the game. And those are, again, points that anyone can get. It's not one person first to do it gets it and then it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, then you also get points based on how far up the track your three attributes are at the end of the game, your faith, your influence, and your strength. Um, and then for the other ones, a lot of it is based on you know, how many of those different actions you took over the course of the game. If you've taken at least five of these actions on the right half of the board, the commissioning, the fortifying, garrison, and absolve, as well as develop on the left side of the board. If you've done this five to six times, then you start getting into victory point territory. So this on is each a kind of those, on like each it's of basically like points for doing ones. upgrades. Yeah. Yes. And so you're basically trying to pick a couple that you're going to go as far as you can on, um, because you're not going to be able to do it all. Yeah. And and then beyond that, you get one point for every debt that you've taken on that you've paid off. You get docked three points for any unpaid debts. Um, you tally up any of you the bonus points that you got from your converts. And then you get one victory point for every set of three 
silver or provisions you have left at the end of the game. And yeah. that adds up to the scoring. In the case of a tie, as I mentioned earlier, whoever has the most points from the king's orders wins. If there's still a tie, the person with the least suspicion wins. And that's one element that I didn't talk about yet. But we, Ed, if you want to get into that, you could um, potentially. But at that point, if it's still tied, which probably won't be, but at that point, the victory is shared. And uh, yeah. you had a very evenly matched game indeed. Yeah. The uh, the suspicion, I don't think it's worth dwelling on it too much. I think it's just right. um, if you've played Architects, it's kind of like this game's version of the tax stand and corruption um Mm -hmm. where basically every time you take um so there's like a common pool of money that's kind of like the tax stand and the amount of money in it will depend on player count but basically certain things will trigger you being able to take money straight out of that common pool and anytime someone empties um so basically anytime like that empties Whoever has the most um, suspicion cards will get a debt as a penalty. And the way you get suspicion cards is anytime you get a purple worker, which is like the wild worker, which is really powerful, you will get, um, you'll attract suspicion. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that works thematically, but it's just part of the game. Right. And and just one thing to clarify there. these coins you're taking from the tax end is not an optional thing. There are certain yeah. when you're when you're taking these workers, the suspicion cards that you have to draw for each one have a number of coins printed on them, and you're required. Yeah, to it'll take have zero, one, or two. I think you did a really good job with the rules, and I want to just pivot into talking about various things about this game because I'm very excited yeah. to do so. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, um, do you so? Do you want to shift from there into tips or th- good things to keep in mind for first-time players? Let's do tips first while we are still just like transitioning from the rules and the scoring. Sure. Um, so mine and this is a big one, and maybe it was just me not being smart about this. So story time um we've played this once shocking i know given how much we love this series it's just been one that neither of us owned until recently and we just haven't had the time to get to it until now um but we're playing it the first time last week and i thought i had a really good start i was feeling really good whatever whatever and i learned by mid-game that i actually had made some really bad choices because I did not pay attention to just how many points um, the King's Order and game scoring cards are worth. Yeah, I kind of went rogue. I did not listen to the King. Always bad in a medieval society, because, (laughs) you know, you might lose your head. Um, And what I didn't realize is I thought, I was thinking, I guess I had more like scythe brain, where I thought that you could kind of, go your own path or even other Garfield games like architects and Raiders in particular with all the expansions in it, where like there are multiple paths to victory. Like in Raiders, you can 
raid a little bit less and do more quests and hire more Jarls and get more Valkyries and you can win that way. Yeah. That's what I thought was going on with this. But I think in reality, those King's Order cards are telling you from the beginning that this is the way this specific game of Paladins is going to need to be played. Mm -hmm. And you need to tailor your strategy to that. So for example, I built up my wall a whole ton. The wall was not one of the conditions on the cards that we drew for this game. We yeah, had it wasn't one, one of the King's yeah, Order cards. We had the ones that gave you the King's Orders were um, attacked, do um, successfully attack and kill five outsiders, develop the garrison five times, and convert was, five times. Convert five times, right? Those were like three for three, the things that I did not focus on doing. And I basically went the other way. I developed a whole bunch. I built up my wall a whole bunch. And those were basically like the cards that we did not draw for that game. So what Mm -hmm. that meant was like, I got a lot of points from developing and from doing those things, but they're not worth as many points if you know, compared to the King's orders, especially when your opponent, as you did so effectively, is actually focusing on doing that. So I'm not, I think, honestly, I I would have to play it again just to see how much of a big deal this is. I think to me, overall, that might be a little bit, a tiny bit leaning toward a negative because I prefer... I can see that. I prefer the flexibility of like people can, you know, try different things. And like, regardless of what the game is forcing you into that, like there are ways to do what you want to do and still win. Yeah. Um, but, um, but that's the game. And so I would just say like, when, when you see what the King's order cards are, take them seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one caveat I'll say for this is you have a little wiggle room the first half of the game just because the first King's Order, you've got three of the King's Orders that are reviewed, that are revealed over rounds one through three. So you're not going to know exactly at the beginning of the game that's a good, what, that's a good what, point. You, yeah. what you're aiming for. So um, I'd say for the first half of the game, the for, for rounds one through three, try to do a little bit of everything. But then once you know what all three of those are, that should be your focus. By I think the same also, token, um, though, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say by the same token, like in our playthrough, I think the fact that you didn't go for those probably affected things because if you have everyone going for the same thing, not everyone's going to be able to complete them. And yeah. so I think that might, Maybe in from a game theory sense, those are the times where alternate strategies crop up as effective differentiators. Yeah. Um, I think also like a tip I might give related to this is there are only like, I think what, six different King's Order cards that are possible, right? Yes. And you're going to play with three every game. So they're yes. not that many. So maybe honestly... And we didn't do this because we didn't know it was such a big deal. Maybe before you play your first game, 
familiarize yourself with all six uh-huh. um, and make sure like you understand what all six are and therefore what's possible and what's coming so that you're not even before the three are revealed, you're not going in completely blind and you know what to expect. Right. Um, because that's something that definitely gives an advantage to people who have played before. Um, yeah. Because they're going to know just what's yeah. in that. Like there's no surprises. There's only six cards and you're playing with half of them every time. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah. The other, the other thing um, I'll say as a tip is mm-hmm. it can be, I feel like on a first playthrough or an early playthrough, there's a lot of different factors going into deciding which paladin card you want to pick. And I think it behooves you to think about the game kind of in that subdividing of the main board into two halves that Ed talked about, where on the left you're gathering resources and then on the right you're converting those resources into end game attributes and points. And I think a very effective way to do this is to make one of the chief deciding factors for when you're deciding which of those Paladin cards to play the special ability at the bottom, because you want to, you want to stagger it as much as possible so that on the turns, when you are having to like build up your resource stores, you've got a Paladin that's giving you an added efficiency in resource gathering on either coins or provisions. And then on the turns, when you're converting those into points, you're ideally getting more resources or having more efficiencies from playing on the right half of the board where you're gathering those points and harvesting, basically. I think that's exactly right, because specifically, I remember this part of why I thought I had such a strong start to the game was because my first paladin that I chose to play was the one that gave me two extra coins when I took the trade action. And the trade action is the basic um, coin collection worker placement spot on the left side of the board. Mm-hmm. So you wanna, you're want to you going to be doing that anyway in the first couple rounds, especially that first round. So getting extra money at the beginning of the game just opens up so much for you. Whereas like some yeah. of the paladins that would give you added benefits for attacking or fortifying or something you're probably not going to be doing as much of that until you have the ability to do that right? Um, later on. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I think one thing we were both able to do early is finding a way to get a worker without paying for it. If yes. you can early yes. is a pretty so like, big deal. My townsfolk that I hired was every time I took the fortify action, I got a white worker. Yeah. Um, which again, that did kind of backfire on me a bit because it kind of forced me, pigeonholed me into what wanting to take that fortify action more often when the fortify um, king's order was not in play. But yeah, but like there are really good townsfolk like that who will give you more workers. And basically, like in terms of the efficiency, what you're really trying to do in this game is you want to have as many workers as you can and spend as few of them as you can per action. So like it's a combination of getting more workers and doing the developments to reduce the number of workers you spend on those right side spots, because the more like the more slowly you can use your workers, 
um, the more you can draw out your rounds. It's kind of like what you do in other games like Wayfarers, um, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Everdell, where you just want to like, you have a limited number of rounds and you have a limited number of workers, um, or in the case of Wayfarers, it's workers and dice, but you just want to like have the most... You just want to like take that butter and spread it so thin on that slice of toast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But still have it taste good. Yeah. I'm hungry. Can you tell? <laughs> I thought that was a Lord of the Rings reference, maybe. That, that too. <laughs> it, it's always a Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, they arrive no, precisely when one. they're meant to. Yeah. I yeah. think I think that's a good one. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up the develop action again on the left side of the board because I don't think... I hit that one quite hard enough when we did the overview because basically what this is letting you do is, you know, all of these actions that you're taking, you've got to use usually two to three workers for most of them. And at least some of them have to be a particular color in order to activate a certain action. But what this develop lets you do is basically use a little green house a monopoly hotel yeah to cover (laughs) to cover up one of those worker spots anywhere on your board so that basically it's covered and you don't need to pay that worker for the rest of the game whenever you do that action and so you're able again it's like a like a scythe upgrade moving the cube yeah um yeah between the top and the bottom rows and so especially like this is saving you in two ways because on the one hand it's saving you quantity of workers, but it's also giving you greater flexibility because suddenly for at least some actions, you don't have to come up with a certain color worker if you put them in the right spots. Correct. Um, so shall we move on to best thing and worst thing? Um, so I do want to touch on that, but I there's one topic I I'm curious to hear your thoughts on because this mm, is uh, okay. this is a little bit of a philosophical question I guess, but it's something that came up in the BGG reviews and discussions about this game, and that question is this: Is this a worker placement game or not? Um. So first off, I should have mentioned this has an 8.0 on BGG um, and a 3.71 complexity rating. My bad. Um, Unlike you, I have not read those reviews that make up that 8.0. But uh, now that I've stalled, um, to answer your question, my answer is yes. Okay. And I don't really understand why that's controversial this is absolutely a worker placement game not only do you have physical workers you also have specific worker placement spots Mm -hmm. that are filled Mm -hmm. right and unlike architects or everdell or arnak where some of those spots are restricted to one player only in this game, you have your own player board, so that's not an issue. But the one player is yourself. You cannot use that spot again until you clear it out. Mm-hmm. So that's the self-imposed um, limit that exists, which makes it, yeah. which is also very common in worker placement games. Right. And 
the like i guess the way to think of it is like it's a slightly more abstract take on worker placement where as you said a lot of these actions especially the right side actions take multiple workers to take them right Mm -hmm. and so basically think of it as when you're placing workers to take an action in those right side actions um the you know convert attack fortify etc the three workers combined are your worker yeah right so like you don't always have the worker you need but like it's an army placement game and Mm -hmm. you need to place the right army in the right spot so it's just like each of each of the actual like physical workers in my mind is more like conceptually philosophically a piece of a true worker yeah and you need to like combine them in the right way for it to be a real fully operational worker. You're placing workers on worker placement spots. And to me, that is a definitional answer to the question. So with that in mind, what is the counter argument? So, I mean, I think that, I think you raise good points and I think the counter argument is a bit, um what's the word for it it's a it it's a bit semantic but i think i think what people are getting at when they're like this doesn't feel like a worker placement game to me is the rub being how much interactiveness there is between the players because the only real spots that you are vying for spots with the other player is when you're placing your clergy and your garrisons on the main board because there's a limited number of spots that you can place them i see the point that there's less interactivity in this game than initially meets the eye like simply from the fact that most of your workers are being placed on a player board where only you can place but I think the requiring the combination of colors and the different numbers introduces enough different possibilities and enough where you have to stretch to reach the places you need to reach on a given turn. I think there's enough tension there that even if it's not traditionally um, as interactive as maybe some other worker placement games, I think it's still there's still an, enough there for this to be considered a, a challenging in a in a some sort of worker placement subgenre. Yeah. Um I have a lot of different thoughts. Um and this is this is kind of bleeding over into the best thing worst thing conversation a bit. So I guess just like this game we are defining genre. Um and breaking the boundaries. So I was going to talk about this in my worst thing about this game category. Okay. The, um, the player interaction. Mm. And I say it sounds hot. It sounds harsh that I'm putting it as a worst thing. Um, Cause I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. Um, I say that almost as if I'm saying it on behalf of hypothetical other people out mm. there in the world. Who oh, may, what do you mean by that? Who, like, uh, I personally 
like this game for what it is. Yeah. Um, I understand that it is very much on the low end of player interaction. Um, incredibly so, like, especially if you're coming off of Raiders and Architects, and then this is the next thing in the series. This is a huge step down in terms of worker intera- uh, player interaction from both of those games. Yes. And I think especially the big thing that people loved about Architects in particular is that its twist on worker placement was an elevated sense of player interaction with the um, yes. arresting mechanic. Right. So I understand where people are coming from that. I also understand that, you know, the same people who maybe looked at Scythe and saw giant robot mechs and World War One and maybe disappointed because it's not a true you know, area control conquest battle game mm-hmm. may look at this and see on the box paladins of the West kingdom with a box full of medieval knights with weapons. And this is what they get, mm-hmm. you know, which almost feels like it's a game where instead of going to a war, it almost feels more like you're tending your garden. Or or at least you're preparing for war, but the game is over before the battle's begun. Exactly. Yeah. Um, With the exception of like, yeah, you are attacking the outsiders, but like that does, it doesn't feel like an attack. It just feels like you're paying resources at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, So that's what I mean. Like I understand the criticism. It is a legit criticism because for for people who want a certain type of game. Mm. Now, in defense of the game, a couple things. I think that has nothing to do with whether or not it is a worker placement game or not. Like, no one ever said that a worker placement game can only be one thing. Mm. And if you want a worker placement game to only look a certain way and feel a certain way, what's the point of ever making new ones? Because mm. the game that you already are thinking of already exists. Yeah. Go and go and buy that one or play that one. No one's yeah. taking architects away from you or any other worker placement game. Those exist. This is just adding on to it. Right. Um so that's that like again, like it has nothing to do with worker placement for me. It just more is a question of are you disappointed with the level of player interaction and you're trying to find ways to express that? And if that's the criticism that it was a little bit of a genre bait and switch. I understand that and I sympathize with that. And I would understand if you decide that you don't like this game because of that and you want to return it or sell it or never play it again, whatever. I personally don't. uh, don't, I don't care. Like I like this game, (laughs) you know, Um, but I, I can understand why other people don't. That's my long, wordy way of putting it. Well, and I mean, yeah, just kind of going along with that. It's they're they're taking they were clearly taking a chance. They were they didn't want to make a carbon copy of the other games that already existed in this series and in these trilogies. And on that and on that um, note, I think they they definitely succeeded in doing something different here. Yes. Um, yeah. When I when I said I had a lot of thoughts, so first, just a little side note: we had talked mm. before we started recording about maybe trying to keep this one a little bit more on the shorter end. 
yeah that's that's <laughs> out the window now and you know it's fine because i okay we both we both have a lot to say about this particular game and you know we yes. have a lot of history with uh this whole universe of garfield releases we do um the other thing i was just going to say that also is interesting to me and this is why i just have like so many confused thoughts about this specific point you raised mm-hmm. is if you look at like the timeline of garfield releases mm-hmm. right around this time they also released a game called hadrian's wall mm-hmm. which is part of their ancient anthology series so it's you know a little bit of more of a spinoff but anyway it is history themed the cover of the box is a dude in roman armor with a with a weapon like a lance in front of a big medieval looking wall and the game as far as i understand because i haven't played it is a roll and write game where it is multiplayer you can play with solo or you can play with other people but you're basically doing your own thing, building a wall, and there's very little player interaction. Does that sound like something you know? <laughs> I'm not saying they're the same game. I understand they are not the same game, but I... And this is just like, I wonder if they're just... People come to expect certain things, and then they're expectations are subverted a bit and they kind of and the designers kind of zigzag in a different direction and then people respond to that so then they double down on that and then when they turn around again people are going to be surprised again so it's kind of like a i don't know like you you can't really win because somebody's always going to be upset and Mm. the ironic thing as we kind of talk so much about the criticism that you keep seeing of this game is that ironically this is the most highly rated Garfield release period. It is again, like an eight out of 10 on board game geek, which is an incredibly high rating. Like games don't often get above an eight and it is currently number 63 of all time. Number 48, all time of strategy games, just for reference, like the next best highest rated, um, Garfield release is Architects of the West Kingdom at number 92, followed by Raiders of the North Sea, rounding out the top 100 exactly. And then mm-hmm. Viscounts is like in the mid 100s, and then nothing else comes close. We can talk yeah. about the merits of that, but the reality is you cannot deny, regardless of your own personal feelings about this game, that it is a success, like commercially and critically. Yeah. So, you know. I understand the criticisms again, but maybe it's just not the game for you, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, at that point, it it's not really about the how well crafted the game is. It's just personal preferences on what type of gaming experience. Right. It's like person I don't wants eat, to have. I don't eat shrimp. <laughs> like, yeah, that doesn't mean that. Like I go around saying that all shrimp dishes in the world are horrible they're just not for me the end yeah yeah um so is there i guess since we're kind of on this note already is there anything that you would say about worst thing about this game before we like go back into positive territory the one thing that comes to mind on that is i am very curious to know how 
like how heavy of a shadow the King's Order cards cast over the game. And by that I mean I'm very curious to play it through several more times to see how possible and how difficult it is to win a game even if you haven't completed as many of the King's Order's objectives as another player. Because to me, um, if... I think it's there's a difference between the game depending on that question because if it's simply a matter of like competing to see who's better at completing those objectives I mm, I think that 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 I think would may, maybe be a slight demerit on the replay value of this game Agreed. for me depending on like as opposed to like having a more open decision space where you're able to pull out a win, even if you don't like come in first on that. So on a optimistic note, best thing about this game, honorable mentions. Yeah. The worker colors. Uh huh. That's really cool. And the card drafting of the paladins. Yeah. Really cool. Um, and then obviously, I'm always just going to shout out the artwork and especially I love the little uh, cameos that the outsiders make from the other um, realms. But my actual response is going to be the upgrades in the develop action Uh um, and in the um, moving the garrisons and the um, monks to the Uh central board. Basically, anything in this game that lets you permanently cover up a spot to get benefits, I love. Yeah. Um, As as we've talked about, like, it is very reminiscent of Scythe. And there is something that I've always really loved about Scythe, where it always is really satisfying when you move those cubes around, because you know that that is something that you permanently achieved. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like you move the cubes, you deploy the mechs, um, you buy a new worker, you build one of your buildings. That's always going to be done. And it's a permanent step toward points and victory. Yeah. And to also being more powerful. And nobody can take it away from you. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I also just, I really loved about this game. The entire game is enjoyable, but I love that initial moment of tension where you are the combined tension of picking which paladin card is going to work best for you in a given round and then picking the townspeople worker, the other four workers that are going to go along with that. And I think it's particularly enjoyable as a mental challenge if you're going second and someone else is picked first. And just Mm -hmm. like running through the catalog in your mind of like, okay, here are the three, four things I was going to try to do this round. And now I have to improvise because I didn't get the worker card I wanted. That I think is when the game is like really shined for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Like that early stage of each round is really exciting as well. And that's, I was kind of like alluding to that with the, uh, the paladin drafting 
yeah as well exactly yeah. It, yeah those two things in tandem selecting the paladins and then selecting the townspeople because it's yeah it's like i mean i focus mainly on the on the on the worker colors there but mm-hmm. the the um the special abilities that the paladins have like whether you're getting extra coins for attacking or extra coins for trading or extra provisions for hunting like um the way those interlocking pieces fit together is just so elegant yeah one one question i have for you um if you can think back to like where your brain was when we were playing yes because of the way that the rounds begin where you're choosing the paladins and all the workers you're starting with each time yes did you feel like you basically were planning out or choosing multiple turns at once like that once you got yes, through that initial absolutely. phase like you kind of knew what you were going to do for the whole round well mostly yeah and i think maybe less and less so as the game went on because yes. the more the game went on and the more upgrades you have the more chance you have of getting additional workers or resources over the course of the round yeah precisely but early rounds especially i was like okay i know exactly what i'm doing this whole round it's just a matter of sequencing yeah yeah okay cool just wanted to check mm-hmm. in on if we are on the same page on that for sure um so we haven't played the um is it the city of crowns expansion we have not yes but Um, we're i look forward to yes we're we're definitely going to get that to the board next time we play this um, yeah because i'm curious to see um i'm curious too because um as far as i can remember of the garfield games we haven't have played I believe this is the only one that's limited to a single expansion. Is that correct? Um, in the medieval trilogies? Yes. Yes. I think one of the North Sea games also only has one, but I haven't played that one. Um, and then Circadian's um, First Light and Chaos Order both only have one expansion. Yeah. But we were we were discussing this when we finished playing it the other day because one thing that I thought about with this game is that especially compared to architects and raiders this is the most solid um base game product agreed the, that they've released with the exception of wayfarers which came after agreed so up until this point this was the best um base game only experience i've had with these games and it kind of I can change my mind when we do try the expansion, but it kind of doesn't feel like it needs it much like Wayfarers. Um, So I understand that there is one expansion. I'm excited to try it, but it doesn't surprise me that of the West kingdom games, this is the one that didn't need um, two expansions. Not surprised. It's already the most complex of their games outside of the new uh, Wayfarers game. And so, yeah, I don't think sense. I don't think they wanted to like add to Bloat. the complexity too much. Yeah, the only other thing I'll say in terms of expansions is just um, there technically is a second expansion, but it's not specific to this game. So what they've been doing for these trilogies is they release a saga that goes with each trilogy. Yeah, it's meant to be played alongside all three games in sequential order. So basically, like. You can play Architects followed by Paladins followed by Viscounts 
and you'd play each game normally and you'd have a separate winner for each game is it but you'd also scores across the three then no, no no you play each game separately uh-huh. but basically your performance in the previous game will kind of determine certain things that you get in the setup of the next game that are specific uh-huh. to the tome saga expansion so, so it's yeah, adding so, a bit of like a legacy component in yeah a a, like a meta um storyline and yeah. campaign in a way yeah which is kind of cool i mean it's a little bit of a commitment to play all three games i guess you don't need to play them back to back like you can pause and just keep track of where you were um yeah. between games but it's an interesting concept it is so just briefly um what game would you recommend to fans of paladins and vice versa expeditions comes to mind okay just because I think you've got a similar dynamic with the, in that game, having the worker placement spots of different colors on the cards in your tableau. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the sequencing of those in efficient ways mechanically doesn't work precisely the same as the different colored workers activating certain actions in this but they seem somewhat akin to each other in my mind i agree um so i was gonna say scythe Mm. but just to be a little bit more interesting and change it up a bit i'm gonna go with a game that i only recently uh played for the first time Mm. and i think that this game may be appealing to people who want a similar gameplay experience but specifically would have complaints about the complexity of this game or the player interaction in this game and the game i have in mind is disney villainous oh yeah you were talking so about yeah so disney villainous it reminded me of scythe in a lot of ways um which may sound strange there's no area control at all but basically all it is is like each person chooses their own villain to play as and each villain has their own unique objective that they need to fulfill in order to win. And so you're going through turn by turn, basically alternating which actions you take using your villain worker character. And you have like a top action, bottom action, like Scythe, you're the other players can like block off your top actions by putting the good guys on it and you have to defeat the good guys to get those spots back. So long way of saying that if, and so like, that's the player interaction there that like you can foil other people's plans a little bit and slow them down Mm -hmm. and choose to kind of team up on the person who seems closest to completing their victory objective. Yeah. So if games like Paladins and Scythe um, and Expeditions where objectives are key to winning, um, where you're like upgrading your player mat those where, kinds of things where it's almost more tech tree driven. Yes. If, if like, that's what you like. Um, but you're looking for something that is simpler, maybe more accessible to some people and has a pretty decent amount of like fun interaction. Try Disney villainous, hmm. not by any means saying that I prefer that game over any of the other games I just listed, but it is a good game and it will maybe you know, scratch that itch for people who, you know, have those preferences. Yeah. 
yeah. No, glad you mentioned that. Cool. So final rating for Paladins of the West Kingdom. Yes. I um this is kind of the moment I've been waiting for. I'm I, so excited to hear what you say. I'm giving this game an eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> and this could veer up into eight and a half territory uh-huh. on if two things happen. One, depending on what it feels like with the expansion. Uh, just because, and I'm caveating this partly because we played the other games with the expansions before grading them. And so this, um, there's wiggle room here for me. This could easily go up. And the other factor here is what I already alluded to about the, uh, how deterministic the King's orders cards are for the outcome of the game. Yep. uh, That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm going big with this one. Oh my. I'm giving it a nine. Ooh. Okay. Have you doled out any nines yet? Did, did Wayfarers got a nine, right? Um, as did Raiders and I believe Architects and Everdell. Okay. Um, I I have given some nines. I think Cascadia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ankh maybe as well. Uh, anyway, mm. um, so I'm kind of taking the approach that maybe it can go down depending on how those mm-hmm. King's Order cards play out and the general like replayability of things once you get used to it. But yeah. I again like I enjoyed this. I was I was telling you offline that it has been a good while since I played a game for the first time and just so strongly felt that I wanted it to play that I wanted to play it again very soon. Yeah. Um there are a lot of games that I've played recently that have been new, so Expeditions, um Earth, Dwellings of Eldervale, yeah. Blood Rage and those are all solid games in their own ways. And some of them are excellent games that I love. Um, But none of them immediately after playing them the first time, I was like, I'm ready to play that again right now. Yes. You know, and I particularly like want to single out dwellings of Eldervale on that because I think, um, I think of those I just listed, that's probably the one that I think is like of a similarly high quality to to this. Yes. While also being as sophisticated and complex as this, if not more. Yeah. And, but I think like a game like that, it almost, after playing it, you kind of need a little cool down. It's like your heavy workout day for the week. You know, I need a recovery day. Yes. I didn't feel that way about Paladins. Yeah. And I don't know if part of that is... Also, just because, like, at this point, we've played so many of these Garfield games that we are familiar with the concepts, we're familiar with, like, the the basic mechanics and the ways that they kind of repackage things across mm-hmm. games and the iconography is mm-hmm. familiar and all of that, that maybe it made it easier to learn yeah. than some other new games we played recently. 
Um, but you know, if I if I talked so highly about Architects and Raiders in our top ten episode and when we reviewed those games, and I enjoyed this one more even after just one play in without any expansion content, mm-hmm. how could I not give it a nine? Yeah, no, and that's I, fair. If I'm proven wrong, I will bring it down. But until then, like, I'm not going to pretend that it was less than it was. If I have anything to say about it, we'll be playing this game again very soon. Upon upon your return from Michigan, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, like, I'll come pick you up at the airport with a big sign <laughs> that just says "Paladins of the West Kingdom" on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm think I'm down for that. Okay, um, cool. Well, is this our longest episode ever? By the way, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> um, but wow. with that in mind, let's let's leave it at that. Let's let's go build a wall. Yeah. Some. All right. Well, <laughs> build a wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. Yeah. See you next week.